Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? Okay. So let's get right into it. I guess where I've been spending time thinking this week is the idea that we've had a pretty active debate about timing of when central banks, particularly the Fed, might start easing. Um, you know, to some degree, we've won the battle, which is that you know, we were pushing back against the early start um, as a wave of uh, optimism that, that was building as we turned into the year. And now we've seen both the data as well as the central bank rhetoric push back. So, you know, we're kind of feeling like we're settling into mid-year. But I guess my my thought process is that this is a small battle. The bigger battle is how much do central banks do? And the idea that, you know, what you're seeing in markets is a optimism that central banks can ease a lot is roughly 200 basis points priced in for the Fed, ECB, and Bank of England between now and the end of 2025. Um, that's probably got some recession risk built into it, but not very much given the way other risk assets are playing. So it seems like what's going on here is markets are getting comfortable with uh, the idea that central banks can really push towards the soft landing scenario, provide the easing uh, that would be material here, taking out a good portion of the restrictive stances, and that that's going to you know, really support us here uh, in a world in which obviously it's built, built on an idea of what inflation is going to uh, do as well. Uh, but the question I'm kind of asking is, with the early year news on uh, growth, um, on uh, labor demand, on stickiness of inflation globally, you know, to what degree um, is there a risk that that um, optimism, that that degree of easing is going to be uh, uh, challenged by markets, challenged by how central banks react to the data? So that's kind of where I am with the idea that the, the market just doesn't have much of that risk priced in. And I think given the data flow, given what, you know, we think might be happening here, um, is more to be, you know, focused on around that concern. Yeah, I, I mean... I can see how you'd be concerned and, and this narrative around the no landing um, is, is perking up a little bit. Um, you know, rate, rates have, have come back uh, and to, to reflect a little bit of that. Uh, but, you know, part of our boiling the frog scenario has the, you know, what we call this is too darn hot, but that's, that's the same as a no landing in, in, in my opinion. Uh, which is that things are inflation is going to get a little bit more. Um, you're not going to get as much disinflation as you thought. Growth is going to be too strong. Central banks are going to have to stay high for longer, or maybe even higher for longer. I think that threat is 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 out there. Um, I, I I mean I guess I don't take as much issue with what the market is pricing, which is some combination of all of these scenarios. Because you if you throw in a recession which will get rates down very low, very quickly with the risk of, you know, some call it no landing or too darn hot and maybe rates have to either stay high for longer or higher for longer. Um, I, I, I can generate just about any path you want, but the one that- I don't think that's the point, Joe. I mean, I really don't think so. I mean, okay. I, I think, yeah, you have a tail risk of a recession that's priced, but you look at economists, our economists all have 200 basis points, ECB, Fed, Bank of England without a recession. I think the consensus view is is that big move that we're expecting is the willingness uh, of central banks to normalize against the backdrop of what will be maybe not strong growth, but still sustained growth. And um, 
a dynamic. Well, I don't understand. Like I would, I, I would, I would argue that their foot is like flat on the brakes right now, and we can debate that, right? That's a debate. Like where's neutral rate and so forth. But let's just assert that there's a lot of monetary tightness right now, and the goal is going to be to lift that off, stay tight, not fully take their foot all the way off, but move that back and do that in a way that generates a soft landing. And so I can tell a narrative, which is that's going to involve getting rates in the US and I suppose Bank of England back to 350 in the euro area, getting rates down to maybe 2% uh, and still generating some growth in a world where that is still somewhat restrictive. And that would be a recognition that there still is kind of what I've been calling for a long time, mid-cycle fundamentals that are driving the growth path forward. And you can just kind of monitor the amount of monetary tightness you have to get that perfect soft landing. That That is all consistent with me. Now, what whether well, the odds are, are right for that, I, that's a different conversation. Well, I think there's two two things there I would take take some issue with. I think the first point is that if we think that inflation is going to get um, stuck here somewhat higher than the Fed forecast, let's just say, which has inflation getting all the way down to 2.2 and 25. If they're starting to come to the thought process that inflation is going to be not much higher than that, but somewhat higher, something, let's just say, like 2.5, 2.6. If that's happening in a world in which growth has surprised to the upside and the unemployment rate is not moving up, um, what you're going to see is a combination of higher inflation tighter labor markets than what the Fed's predicting, uh, and a uh, reassessment of neutral, which I think they're doing in real time, of course, that to me, and I was playing with Taylor rules today for doing something for our cover, which would easily get you back to something more like four and three quarters, which basically is where the Fed is guiding us to this year. So I think you can have a scenario where you have just modest um, upside surprises that interact and give you a Fed that stops at something like 475. I think the difference between the Fed stopping at 475 later this year or continuing to signal that it's going down to three and a half, I think that makes a huge difference uh, for the market. It makes a huge difference for the dynamic of whether we're on a path towards soft landing or or we might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't I, I don't hear you disagreeing with any with anything I said, nor do I disagree with anything you said. I can well, take I would a role like you've you're... done, and if you change those variables, I mean, I if you add whatever a hundred basis points to the neutral rate, then yeah, that's going to push up where you think your but turnover. I don't think you're understanding the point I'm making. I'm making the point that I don't think the market has much of any risk of that right now. Whereas I think the data flow, in terms of what we've seen on growth, what we've seen on the connection between monetary conditions and financial conditions, uh, I think is suggesting there is more risk, especially if that starts to show up with a little bit more sticky right. inflation than uh, is currently being assumed. I think there's a greater risk. What if I were a market participant and I said, look, there's a 50% chance that everything you're saying, Bruce, is right. And there's a 50% chance in my mind that we're going to be in a full-blown recession and they're going to cut close to zero. Lo and behold, the interest rate I'm going to get is what's priced into the market. So for you but to say be, that don't you don't think market participants are no, thinking no. of what you're saying is not right. You're missing the point. This is not about where the where the end of 2025 policy ride might end up. Of course, if we have a recession, it's going to go a lot lower. My point is that the way markets are pricing equities, the way they're pricing credit, the way they're pricing other things is not incorporating a 50% chance of recession. So the way you want to think about where we are now 
is going to is basically having a very optimistic view about the interaction between the Fed and growth and inflation and and things that if you take out the um, the optimism on the macro space in a modest way, you can get a material shift in terms of the guidance as well as the uh, path of rates that could have a big negative feedback loop back to other markets. That's I think if I'm we're saying. talking equities and and probably credit. I would agree with you. There's there's nothing but optimism priced into there. I think the rates, I still stand by what I said. I can I can rationalize the rate curve with all types of probabilities based on the things we're talking about. And there's no need for the rate pricing to kind of be consistent with the equity well, market. If you're telling, me that, a, if you're telling me that the market, the rates markets is pricing in a 40% chance of recession, I think that's totally out of line with anything else that we're seeing not just in the way and a 40 percent chance that the neutral rates higher and the fed's going to need to be hiking no I mean, that's not that, that's a 40 percent chance you think the, that the fed's no i'm not i'm not that's not my point is it? i i i've got my own sense of probabilities bruce but i'm just saying that i can rationalize current market pricing to, to you're trying to say the market is completely oblivious to the idea that rights might might, might go higher and i'm, I'm saying, saying the market is very vulnerable to a path where the Fed starts but doesn't get going much beyond what is guiding us towards for this then, year. So let, let me be, let's make it clear then. And, Couldn't I say the market is very vulnerable to us breaking into a recession and rates go down to zero? I don't think the risks of that for the next six or nine months is very large. That's another issue. And now we're talking about the risks around this. And yeah, I think, you know, obviously the data we've had is that things are running a bit hotter, which is why the no landing kind of scenario is starting to come back in. And that's what we talked about, right? That the, the boiling the frog scenario, one leg of that was things are too darn hot. And if we're saying the odds of that are going up, then yeah, then I would say rates probably need to be pr priced that in a bit more. Okay. Um, so let's, let's turn elsewhere here. Um, in terms of um, what we learned this week, it wasn't a heck of a lot. There was some China data. We obviously had the, mm. the, the yeah. services PMI. Um, I mean, services PMI were positive. That's a that's kind of aligned with what we've been saying about growth. I don't know. I don't feel any differently about China. But what are your your thoughts there? I mean, look, I I think on balance, all the data for the last week, and I'm gonna just for kicks lump in the, the payroll report. Maybe that's uh, cheating, but. Uh, um, you know, we also got the manufacturing PMI last Friday as well, but ev everything's been positive. That's why we're having this kind of debate about no landing. And, and yes, I'm agreeing that the odds of that are going up. Um, and, but I would throw in, in terms of this week, the, the services PMI, the broad all industry PMI, it's a broad based improvement, right? It's broad based across sectors, both manufacturing and services moved up. You and I, uh, We'll debate a little bit on. I, I still worry about the level of the manufacturing a little bit more than you. It's still pointing to stagnation in manufacturing. Um, but the broad momentum lift in the surveys is encouraging, particularly after the fact that you had those US regional Fed surveys that looked like things were breaking down. You had a December PMI report that was pretty ugly. And I, I think the news on the surveys through in January, the marquee surveys, the, the PMIs and the ISM I'd throw in uh, for the US were all quite, quite constructive. It was broad based across countries as well. I mean, all mo just about all countries saw, saw a nice rise in those. So those were all good signals. I do think the manufacturing, and I'm just going to give my little 
two cents here. And I've, I've been waffling on manufacturing for a while. Last week, I was pointing out we put a note out where we were somewhat downbeat on manufacturing, lackluster growth, one to two percent, maybe two percent growth in the first half of this year. And I was saying last week that, huh, maybe this manufacturing PMI is telling me something. Maybe we should be a little more uh, upbeat particularly because we were seeing final goods demand hold up. However, we did get other news this week. It's kind of second tier, but it adds up to something. And that is that that supposed lift in retail sales that we were looking for into year end, and we were taking keying off a lot of the strength in the US. Well, Euro area, really bad. UK, bad. Japan, bad. Brazil, bad. Singapore, bad. And we know China was already weak. So Actually, the, the retail sales may be softening. And by the way, next week, we're going to get a retail sales report from the U.S. where control is probably going to be flat. So I'm not raising alarm bells here, but I'm suddenly feeling more comfortable with our lackluster manufacturing. Uh, well, I think, I think to my mind, the biggest piece of that is the Western European and specifically the yeah. area, right? because yeah. that's where we do expect consumer lift. That's where the um, the impulse for lift from here, it looks potentially the strongest. And that's where the numbers are perhaps the most disappointed in, in terms of the way the year ended in 2023, at least in the Euro area, as you say, Euro area and UK. I think it's a little bit interesting that the Central European um, economies, which are much smaller, but have somewhat similar dynamics are actually uh, starting to see it. All of those countries had a, a pretty decent uh, fourth quarter, especially Poland. So, uh, you know, the Euro area is just, hard to make sense of um, yeah. and it's pretty important in terms of our our call on this um, uh, you know uh, consumer story but even more broadly on global growth I think the world is more at risk if the your Western Europe's overall and your area specifically is not I mean, generating and, and any for real what growth. it's worth uh, just if we're sticking on Europe I mean the European team just in our conversations with them this week, while December does look continued soft, continued puzzling on the consumer, and those are those numbers we're talking about now, they're kind of looking through that and they're flagging some of the more higher frequency, timelier data in January. That's maybe hopefully giving some sense of green shoots. Uh, I think you and I are kind of still a little skeptical, but nonetheless, maybe they're seeing some some uh, positive uh, signs there. I'd like to I'd like to feel better, but I just don't have the- uh, <laughs> You're open to persuasion? Know. <laughs> I'd like to, yeah, I'm open to, but I'd like to see something more tangible here, which we just keep waiting yeah. for and don't don't seem to be getting. A word on China? Anything from your so, perspective? No, I mean the news this week, and everyone should remember that uh, there were in the in the blackout period, uh, January, February data. We're not going to see until we get to uh, uh, mid March when they release that uh, two months together. Uh, because of the Lunar New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, but uh, we do get the total social financing numbers, the credit numbers, and those were out uh, today. Um, I, I personally don't want to make a big deal out of it. I, I think some people are excited because it was a really strong number. I think it, we every year we forget January is by far the strongest month of the year, uh, both because of front loading and also because of Lunar New Year. So it was a little stronger than normal. It was nice to see bank lending pick up a little bit. Um, but I think the, the 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 other news is on the inflation front and that slide into deflation that we've been worrying about Actually, the inflation numbers uh, uh, 
were, were I don't say worse, but uh, softer than expected. And is a reminder that domestic demand is just is the, the engine there is is really weak. And until policymakers kind of um, I, I guess recognize the supply demand imbalances there uh, and kind of focus their policy efforts a little bit more on the demand side. I think this is going to be an ongoing concern, mostly for China and therefore the adding up of China and the global economy because it's a big economy, but a little bit because of the spillover as well uh, and spillover both on the production side as well as some of the disinflationary impulse to the rest of the world. I think on the spillover side, you know, I think what we have to do is, is track this through the high frequency data. And I think, you know, there is the risk that Chinese domestic demand creates more of a spillover, both in terms of overall volumes for the rest of the world, but equally important uh, that there's an excess capacity that gets set out and takes pricing down. Fortunately, uh, not seen it in the in the January PMIs, which is encouraging. That is a timely monthly indicator that we can- Well, that's, that's what I was gonna mention is that I think the global indicators are pointing to modest firming. Um, and I think the export prices from China and the import prices uh, from the US are both pointing to a move from what had been pretty significant deflation six, nine months ago. It's not a, a move towards meaningful price pressures to the upside, but it is a move to something that's looking like it's going somewhat closer to, to zero. So we'll just keep tracking that. I think that's the best way to take this is to say there's a risk here. The data is moving in our direction, which is expecting to see global goods price deflation on the CPI level get out of the picture here in the next few months. But we mm -hmm. need to be be honest to what the data is telling us on that front. Um, and I guess next week, anything else we want to highlight? Uh, well, I mean, got... so as I said, the retail sales we're gonna we're looking for flat on the control number, down nine tenths on the headline. Uh, it's a nominal report. There's there's gasoline and all that. So the and then of course, isn't doing a very good job tracking the holiday season shopping. I guess. That's... Say it again. Our car data is doing no, it. No, it didn't. I, I think what's happening there, and uh, yeah, this is good. Um, thanks for raising that. Uh, the, the car data is pointing to a stronger outcome, but the, the thing here is the car data, our Chase car data, was also pointing to a weak December, which was strong. So I would I would smooth those out. And I, I think that's what we're doing on the on this forecast of a flat. Probably has different different set of seasonals than the government data. So gotta, that that could be the that. issue. And then, of course, Bruce, the, the, the big news next week is going to be CPI, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and that, you know, headline one-tenth, but core, we're looking for uh, 0.22. Uh, if we're right, I think the OIA falls to 3.7, which would be the lowest in, I don't know, three years, maybe. Um, yeah. And the three-month run rate steps down from 3.3 down to 3.2. Yeah, but I think it's really about trajectory here in the pieces, because there is in our forecast for this for the january month a pretty big drop in used car prices so yeah. both that should probably be discounted in terms of trajectory and it also doesn't play nearly as big a role in the pc which we're going to be starting to pay pretty much laser focus on given how low it's been in the last few months to see if that comes back and yeah an expectation that that bounces back and for what it's worth i thought it was interesting how powell and uh in his 60 minutes interview um, suggested that they were kind of anticipating a, that a movement up in those core PCE inflation would not preclude them from cutting rates, a, a sense that the very low readings, they're, they're already fading, discounting, and expecting some move up. Obviously, the million-dollar question is, at what point would be a too much of a move up? Is it 
a move to 2.4 to 2.5? Would that get them to stop easing? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think, the, I think the point is, let's just say for argument's sake, we're running um, around 2.5 for the first uh, half of the year. Um, that won't stop them, I think, for opening the door to easing. That would represent significant progress. Um, and I that's think on the bubble for me. Well, I think it, the year ago number is going to go down if that's the case to something like two, three by the time you get to April, May. So that's going to be, I think, plenty of room for them to start easing. Um, but if you're stuck there, if you're going to be sitting at two, five or so or anything higher than that, and yeah. the economy is going to look solid if the unemployment exactly. rate is not I tracking, throw that back tracking their, their forecast to go up above four percent uh, this year. Then yeah. my point is not only is that going to slow them down directly, but it's going to slow down indirectly because if the economy is delivering decent enough job growth, decent enough GDP growth, it's going to further reinforce this notion of, hey, where's the neutral rate? What is monetary transmission doing here? And that, you know, that that's my point that could get them to, to do something like the 75 they're guiding for sport, but to have raise questions and begin to guide differently about what the 2025 uh, path is where they have an extra hundred uh, priced in, and that's something which the market has as well. So we'll see. We got we got three three or four moving parts here, and as you're noting, one of the important ones is watching the actual uh, performance of inflation at the start of the year, uh, and we'll see where we are next week after a week in which these revisions, which everybody was obsessing over, didn't turn out to be. <laughs> Anything that, was, that anybody should have been spending thank, as thank much Governor time. Waller for kind of raising that tempest in the teapot. <laughs> My exactly. gosh, definitely took too much too much time from us in terms of yeah. communication. Yeah, and, well, I want to be paid back for that. Uh, Bruce, <laughs> that's, what you, before, that's what you're paid for, Joe. Don't, yeah, don't, yeah. Uh, too don't obsessed about uh, meaningless things. Yeah, I know what you're going to wrap up here. I, I do want to mention that the one piece of data that we also got uh, was the the senior loan loan officer survey data and. I raise that not because, you know, in a normal time, that'd be kind of a second tier type indicator, but it was a huge part of the story last year. And and you talk about kind of some us kind of being right and pushing back on the call for early cuts over the past couple months here. But we also pushed back hard against a recession call and that a credit shock was coming. And the the exhibit A for the or the kind of recession East is out there was that spike in in lending standards that that happened uh, you know late 22 and then of course it got exacerbated by SVB uh, and you saw a spike that you tend to only see happen ahead of or during a recession which was the as I said the ace in the hole for the anyone who thought a recession was coming we pushed back against that pointing out that the rest of the economy was not consistent with that and you tend to see financial stress building and you weren't seeing that you also tend to see economic activity slowing alongside that and you weren't seeing that and lo and behold what we've seen in the last couple quarters here is that lending standards have been easing again in fact, no, they're not easing. They're they're sorry, sorry, less, the moderating. Less yeah, moderating. But I will say, and you were bugging me about this, saying, "Well, you know, it's still elevated." But I would say, if you look at the level of where it is post peak, relative to post peaks before, you were already in an expansion again, right? So if I take okay. right, I guess I'm looking at. I mean, I I, I I'm totally with you on the the recession side of this i kind of feel like we've won that battle six months ago yeah but I, no. the point is worth making my, my, point to, <laughs> my point to you is if this thing settles something closer to zero but doesn't go into easing territory 
and the idea that we've had some material tightening in bank lending standards and that that will continue to be a weight on growth and the tension between high interest rates, tighter lending standards, which I reflect with, let's say, high level of the dollar as a tightening in monetary conditions and the easing in financial conditions is in some ways one of the fundamental tensions that we have in the outlook. And that's where if you don't get the Fed easing uh, that markets are expecting and that we're expecting, um, that could bring that closer into alignment by tightening financial conditions, creating some stress. Uh, if you do get the Fed easing, then the way you're describing it, we, we probably live with this and we can continue to uh, feel pretty good about the outlook. And that's in some ways one of the key differences between are we on a boil the frog path or are we going to be more likely to be able to hit that soft landing? But let's leave it now. We can continue this debate. It'll give us something to argue about next week. Um, so anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope we can continue this conversation next week on the weekend.